Welcome to Notice History, the podcast where we uncover the history all around us. As always, we're your hosts, Robin Mullins and Nick Bridges. And today we have yet another wonderful guest with us for our History at Work series. So I'm happy to introduce Emily McDonald. Hi. Thanks for joining us, Emily. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Would you like to tell us a bit about yourself and your, your current role? Um, so right now I'm an archivist and I work at the Government Archives Branch at Library and Archives Canada. Like you, I did my master's in public history from Carleton University. Um, I've been working at LAC since 2013, but my co-op jobs included working at the Indian Claims Commission, which is now defunct, um, Parks Canada, and also Shark. So um, LAC, for those who haven't listened oh, to our sorry. other episode with Rebecca Murray, which go back and listen to it. It's also pretty good, and this will be a nice kind of companion piece. But LAC is Library and Archives Canada, and can you tell us what SHRC is? Yes, it is the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council. Nice. Can, you, can you tell I work for the government? <laughs> <laughs> I can acronyms all day. So uh, what you're telling us, Emily, is that in the process of getting your job, you've also become bilingual in acronyms. Definitely. I'm actually trilingual because I speak French, but also acronyms. <laughs> the most important of the secondary languages that you can speak in Ottawa. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so maybe you can tell us a bit more about your current job. Sure. Um, so I work, like I said, I am an archivist in the government archives branch. So that means that I'm responsible for the records of government institutions, so federal government institutions. Um, I'm both a portfolio archivist and also a specialized media archivist. So I have a portfolio of institutions uh, that I have to take care of. I'm responsible for appraising, acquiring, arranging, and describing their records. And as a specialized media archivist, I'm responsible for developing and sharing expertise for a specific class of specialized media. And by specialized media, I mean non-textual material. So anything that is not paper records um, that is textual. So my specialization is in cartography and architectural material. So that's what I work on. Hmm. So as a map specialist, Emily, what does your typical day look like? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's hard. I'm sure you get this a lot, but a lot of people would probably say, you don't really have a typical day because not so much the same as Rebecca. My, my day isn't driven necessarily by clients, but it really does depend on the day what I'm doing. So if I'm doing portfolio work, um, I might be answering some questions from a department or I might be trying to set up a transfer of material or I might be physically processing and intellectually describing some of the materials, so putting it on our online federated search. For specialized media work, Generally, what I'm doing is I'm helping a lot of my colleagues who might not be as familiar with the material that they're looking at, so cartography or architectural material. Um, so I'll help them order material, appraise it, describe it, and arrange them. Sometimes I get to go to departments with other archivists, so if they have a large quantity of cartographic or architectural material, I'll be there to help them with my expertise. Or sometimes I help showcase material for visitors to our facilities. As well, I sit on different committees that are responsible for helping LAC fulfill specific parts of its mandate. That's a lot of things. It's a lot of things. And really, my, my day, like sometimes I have a Fitbit and sometimes my Fitbit doesn't move at all because I'm just basically at my desk the whole day. And then sometimes I'm in and out of processing rooms or I'm visiting people or I'm talking to people. And uh, it really depends. So you talked about, you know, being uh, able to offer 
insight into some of this non-textual material and to the cartography material. Um, so, I mean, how often are people really looking at cartography for different things? Like, is that does that come up a lot? Is that like a burgeoning business area? Yeah, it's uh, it comes up more than you'd think because cartography. When we think of cartography, we often think of you know it's one old map. Um, but there's also a lot of material that the government produces that's related to cartography. So um, I'm trying to think of the ways that you guys would use it, probably in uh, indigenous land claims. Mapping is a really big uh, priority. I know Rebecca could probably speak to that. Uh, for architectural stuff, we have a lot of, we have the material from Expo 67. We have a lot of the architectural drawings from some of the buildings that are there, so that's really interesting. And the more I work in archives, the more I find that there's always someone who's really interested in one specific thing. So, yeah, I think I think cartography and architecture, they may not be the first thing that you think of when you go to the archives, but um, we do have some fantastic specimens. I remember when I worked when I worked in reference services and was doing the public-facing side, there, there weren't a lot of maps questions that I got, but mm -hmm. I did get quite a few about like architectural plans. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people were interested in knowing, you know, a certain building that was of historical significance or just that was of interest to them specifically. Mm -hmm. They wanted to know, you know, can I see the plans for this? I'm interested in when it was built, what kind of materials were used. And um, obviously it can also be really useful if there's like restoration happening. Yeah. So I can definitely see there being a lot of use for it, but it's not something that you always think that you would need a historian for. Definitely, definitely, but it comes up more than you think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think as visual pieces, they're really interesting too. So even in uh, personal research I've done in archives, finding maps has always been some of the most rewarding research, I think. Definitely, and I think, um, you know, they say, it sounds really cliche, but a picture's worth a thousand words. Obviously, photographs make an impact on people. Um, that textual material just sometimes doesn't, but having maps, for example, last week I was looking at maps of uh, the blast radius from the Halifax explosion, and just things like that, and that, that tells a story that, that no matter how good the, the textual records are, it's just something that stands out to people, and it, they're able to see it so much more vividly when they can, you know, even, even in just a map. Yeah, it's a lot more measurable mm -hmm. for, you know, the extent of the damage in that mm -hmm. situation mm -hmm. than just reading, you know, so many kilometers or so much space, seeing it on a map and seeing how far reaching it would be would mm -hmm. be a lot more impactful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is that one of your more interesting aspects or, or do you enjoy the other side of it as well just as much? I think I really do enjoy both sides. I mean, um, I learn a lot about government institutions. Learning about the way that the government works, it's it's huge. The, the federal government in Canada, I mean, obviously we're in Ottawa, so I think people tend to get a sense of it. A lot of people here work for the government. But there are just institutions and organizations and agencies and things that you don't even understand. And realistically, as part of the, the government archives branch, what we're trying to do is serve as um, one of the tenets of our mandate. We're trying to fulfill one of the tenets of our mandate to serve as the continuing memory of the government of Canada. And that's that's a really big deal and it's a lot of pressure. So understanding everything that's going on with the government, if you don't have that understanding, then you're not going to be able to document it properly. So I find that really interesting as well. So even working on a smaller institution um, that may not have its own minister, just trying to figure out, okay, well, what do you do and how do you report this and what are where are the most important records and how can we make sure that we get them? That's completely different from looking at something like a map or an architectural drawing, but I still find it really rewarding. 
Yeah, it's nice to be able to have both sides mm-hmm. so that you don't get too bored with one. You can always mix things up and exactly work on something so different. That's why my days aren't very typical. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, that you touched on an interesting point, right? There, there are so many institutions, so many organizations within the government. It's like this giant leviathan mm-hmm. that's constantly moving and changing. Mm-hmm. And even, I think, the majority of us who don't work in government, we can appreciate that when a new government is elected, all of a sudden, departments usually change names. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of new um, initiatives that are set up. There's all these new organizations that happen or that are closed down. There's all these changes constantly happening, and those are the ones we hear about, mm-hmm. let alone the ones that you know are too small for us to really make the news and for us to know that anything is changing with them. So having an organization whose you know, mandate is to actually keep track of all of these things and keep the important documents so that we can refer to them later is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. One of my old managers described it as, we are the memory of the government. And when you think about government accountability, that's a big deal. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So as Robin mentioned earlier in the interview, we've previously spoken to Rebecca Murray, who's an archivist in the public services branch. How does your work differ from public services? So as you might guess by the title, uh, Rebecca deals a lot more directly with the public. Um, because of that, I think she has the opportunity to develop a broader understanding of our entire archival collection. She gets all the questions. She gets a wide variety of questions. Whatever anyone has any questions about, they just walk in and ask her. Um, so she deals also with private and government material. On the other hand, the clients that I deal with are only interested in my specific institutions um, for my portfolios. So I really end up developing a much deeper knowledge of those songs. But when it comes to specialized media, I do have a broader understanding of cartographic and architectural material across the federal government. Um, I do hear from Rebecca, and generally only when she finds a question about my departments or material that she can't answer, or that's really, really specific, which, um, as we discussed, could be pretty likely because it could be a specific thing about when an institution was incorporated and what that means in terms of where the records are. Um, But I don't hear from her that often because she's really good at her job. Which is natural and makes sense. Yeah. That, that's why you're hired to do those exactly. things. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and we, you know, we help each other out. So it's, it's, you develop a working relationship with them. So I should say, too, that I work out in Gatineau. I don't work um, in the same building as the main, um, the Wellington um, building. So that explains why I, I don't often talk to Rebecca, like, one-to-one. It's not because we're three floors away and I just don't go downstairs or something. It's because I'm literally a province away. <laughs> if that makes sense. A province away and yet also just only like a 20-minute drive. Exactly. <laughs> but the traffic. The good part of that is that you're basically just across a street from mm-hmm. the Preservation Center, which is super cool. Do you get to go there very often? Yeah. So uh, the Preservation Center, for um, if you don't often go out to the random part of Gatineau, where it is, um, it's fascinating. It is a world-class building. It just won an architectural award, which is pretty interesting. And it's designed to withstand some, some, something ridiculous like a f- Richter 5 earthquake or something. Don't quote me on this. That, that sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's amazing. It's it's a world-class facility, like I said. So you go over there and you kind of just feel like, oh, I'm working in a national heritage institution. We have all the tools, all the equipment, but most importantly, all of the excellent people who have these amazing skills, like they will spend forever restoring uh, an old book or making a leather cover for something that's missing. They will take days to get everything right and to do the research and to figure out what kind of glue they're going to use. And it's just, it blows my mind. They are such talented people. But it's, it's also a really cool building architecturally. You can take um, free tours of it, actually. You can sign up. 
That's right. Yeah, and not just on Open Doors Ottawa mm -hmm. weekend. They actually have tours throughout yep. the year. Yep, you can come in and you can see people working and uh, see what they're working on. And it's just, it's really, really cool. I mean, I can't, I can't say enough about it. So, so thinking about how your um, end, I guess, comparing to Rebecca's, mm -hmm. works with the public, how does your specific work end up impacting the public? Well, uh, that puts a lot of pressure on me when you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so when we get the material from the institution, it's basically up to the Government Archives branch to figure out how to make it accessible to the public. So Rebecca's working with the uh, descriptions, with the hierarchy, with the arrangement structure that the Government Archives records archivists are creating and adding to and um, editing and trying to improve. So part of that is understanding the administrative history which is very, as I said before, it can be very complex. Um, to be able to search for something, to be able to find something that you're looking for, what you, you have to have a good arrangement structure in the first place. Uh, anyone who has probably tried to do any research in, for example, Indigenous uh, Affairs knows how often the portfolio was moved around from department to department. And if you don't know that, you're going to have a very hard time trying to look for okay, well, why isn't this under this department? And in 1967, why did it move here? So it's really important that you're able to contextualize that and put that in there so that, you know, you can give the, the client what they're looking for and also help the reference archivists help the client find it. So try to make it as obvious as possible. Um, if there's poor description or the arrangement isn't logical, no one can find it, and then that means mm -hmm. that no one can use it. Yeah, I think it's... I don't often talk directly with members of the public the way that Rebecca does, but the work that I do and the work that my colleagues do is really important to ensuring that the public can get their hands on the information because really, when it comes down to it, it's all about access. Right, and that's something that I found myself really uh, overwhelming and also very frustrating in my first few weeks when I was first getting trained at Library and Archives Canada when I worked there because it kind of feels like this gigantic, huge closet and, you know, Hundreds of people have been there before you, mm -hmm. and they all had totally different ways of organizing their mm -hmm. closet. So you have all these different drawers, but everything's in a totally different way in a different structure. And right when you think that you've started to like understand how to search for the socks, oh, now I need to find pants. How am I going to find those? They're totally organized in a totally different way. Exactly. So your work is trying to make that easier and simpler for people when they get to your records that you're, you've been in charge of. Yes, and I mean, it's it's challenging too because everyone that was working on it was trying to do their best and trying to make it an accessible in a way that made sense to them. Um, but grappling with the way that the government changes, even in a regular basis, is, is challenging for anyone. So knowing... I think there's there's a common understanding that we're all just trying to do our best to make it accessible, but trying to understand, okay, there was probably a logic to why this was organized this way. And then when you finally figure it out, you finally realize, oh, that's where that transfer should go. I'm going to put it there. It's really satisfying, as, as dorky as that sounds. We've always had the same um, general idea of collecting records for the preservation for future, but what's been important and what's not been valuable has been has changed over the years. And will continue to. And will continue to change. So taking that all into account and thinking, okay, we know what we want, we want to make sure that it's here, but why did someone prioritize this instead of that? Um, it's, it's very challenging. So, so dealing with some of the organizational structures of um, previous institutions can be difficult. What are some of the other challenging aspects of your job, Emily? I think I would say that's probably the biggest one. Yeah. Honestly, just just trying to understand that and trying to understand 
um, how people have thought about things in the past. And it's good because once you get the sense of, you know, how someone organized it, if you know that they worked on another, uh, in another collection or another uh, fond, which is just a group of material, um, then you can say, okay, well, I think they probably would have done it this way. So it's nice to be able to, to take that knowledge and, and bring that elsewhere, but really just drawing information from all across the institution, because we're very, very fortunate that we have lots of people who've been working there for quite a while and trying to, to get the corporate knowledge from them that, that might not have made it into the MECAN description or the federated search description. It's uh, just trying to pick that all up and trying to figure out a way to communicate that to whoever comes the next after you. So you can see what people have done in the past and you can see how it's confusing to you. And so what you're trying to do is make sure, okay, whoever's working on this when I retire, how can I make it not be a headache for them? How can I make it make sense to them? Hmm. A tall order. Yeah, yeah. No, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like that's a big task or anything. No, no. no. Of course, yeah. super manageable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and clearly, you know, people have been doing it for years, mm-hmm. and we're all doing our best, exactly. like you said. Um, so, I mean, you have a very fascinating job. Mm-hmm. You get to do a lot of really cool things. How exactly did you get here? Um, I always liked history. I was fortunate enough to have some fantastic um, teachers, some fantastic profs as well. Um, I think it was actually my... World War One history prof that made us all go to the archives and research a World War One soldiers Ooh. service file, which was fascinating. And so I always really enjoyed the idea of history. I like historical fiction. I like you know historical sites. I I've just kind of always been into that, but I just wasn't sure. You know, I did that in school. I wasn't sure how I could necessarily make it work for me so that I could get a job because I would you know love to work in history, and I just never thought that I'd end up working at our national institution. Was it like a long road of um, having to go through a lot of government tests? I know some people, it seems like it just falls in their laps, mm-hmm. and other people, they you know they apply for years and years, and mm-hmm. it takes like six years to get in. It seems like it's really just on an individual basis that things happen, but um, what, did you have a long road to get in there? Uh, I think it can. De- it really does depend on what your you know what the circumstances are, and. I think it just depends on when the competition is run. Um, if you do co-op, you can get experience because working at the archives and working at the National Archives is a very specific type of work. So working at an archives, if you'd ever want to work at LAC, start working at an archives, any archives. But even then, the, the knowledge that we require and the skills that we expect is just, it's very specific to what we do. So it's sometimes you just, it takes a while for people to develop that. You've talked a bit about how your work is really different and unique. Does that really come out when you're interacting with other organizations? Definitely. So the first thing that I would say about that is the size. We're huge. We are giant compared to most institutions, um, unless we're talking internationally, in which case I'm guessing we're probably not the biggest. But if we're talking with our colleagues who are working in provincial archives or in municipal archives or territorial archives, it's really interesting to see the way that they structure the work because in most cases, we have enough people, so it makes sense for us to have a different team of people who are working on preservation or a different team of people who are working on reference and different portfolio archivists. But if you're working in a small archives and you are the only person who's working there, you might be doing the digitization, you might be doing the portfolio work, the transfer work, um, the preservation work, so you get there's pros and cons, but you get experience working in a smaller institution because you might be the only person who's there. The plus side, of course, of us being this big is that we have more resources, so we're able to do a little bit more with it. So, I mean, we've talked about some of the differences. Um, 
with your work, but I mean, do you see any, obviously no one can predict the future, mm-hmm. but do you, do you anticipate any kind of big changes to your field in the near future or distant future even, or just new issues that you'll need to maybe tackle with and grow towards? I, you know, digitization has become a huge thing and obviously LAC is working to catch up and to also be current. We have Heritage Canadiana that's available with a lot of the reels being digitized, but are there other kind of challenges or opportunities that you foresee? I think you really uh, hit the nail on the head with the discussion of uh, digital or technology. I think technology is something that we are trying to figure out that's going to change the archival practice. I think most people wouldn't deny that technology will provide us new challenges, but it will also provide us some new tools. But in terms of what I think is probably the most important, I really think that we've seen a gradual increase in the role of archives in government accountability, as we kind of discussed before. If people go to the archives and realize that all of the information that they're looking for is there, if they're interested in something that the government did or something that a private institution did or, or just understanding more about that in terms of accountability. I mean, I relate it to government accountability because that's what I work in, but I think that's something that has gradually been on the increase and we're only going to see more of it as, as um, time goes on. Yeah, and as, I mean, as we're able to actually access those records, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's so many interesting not just news stories, mm-hmm. but also just books and, and reports and studies in general, as we have more data available to us, it really can apply to a lot of everyday situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're, I mean, any topic of interest, if it's something you're interested in, there's probably something in the archives that's related to it. So come visit. How has your career changed your outlook on history, Emily? Kind of going back to something we discussed before in terms of the accessibility of certain documents. I've really been able to see firsthand how seeing the actual archival document can affect how people understand history. So I've given presentations, I've written reports, but what seems to make the greatest impact is when people see original material. As soon as you pull out an original map or letter that's 100 years old, you can see how people draw closer and their eyes light up and they just get so much more engaged. The effect even extends to decent reproductions, which you can also order from a library in Archives Canada. Um, my grandfather served in World War II, and we were able to order his service files, and it was just fascinating to go through that with my, my family and just look at them and, and um, you know, get a, a deeper sense of what he had been through just by looking at his service files. Even though they weren't the originals, they were just good reproductions. So I think it's just interesting to see how quickly people connect to archival documents, and because I love history, I think that's a good way to spark an interest in learning more about history. So, so more about your job. Is there anything, um, are there any projects that you're working on right now that you'd like to talk about or anything you'd like to plug? The free tours that we have at the Gatineau Preservation Center, you can sign up for our uh, mailing list and you can sign up for a bunch of other things that we do too. We have our signature series where we have some um, key figures come in and talk about the records that they have donated and we have book launches and uh, you will obviously get the invite for the Gatineau Preservation Center tour too if you like architecture if you like preservation if you like history it's a amazing place to go visit well thank you so much for joining us Emily I think it's been a really interesting perspective to hear just the differences between your work as well as Rebecca's um, but also to hear about how it, it is to actually have a job in you know in a really diverse field and in a government institution where you're you know quite literally you know in charge of government records that are 
going to be kept for all time that mm-hmm. you know you're helping us access them you're helping them to be preserved mm-hmm. you're helping us find them and um with not for you they might not be accessible in the future yep it's uh when you put it like that that's that's an awful lot of pressure <laughs> <laughs> no pressure <laughs> no but it's been it's been really interesting we've we've heard from a few different people and mm-hmm. it's nice to see the way that um history kind of can have such different roles in people's workplaces. Mm-hmm. Um, but really when it comes down to it, it's all about you know helping people understand themselves and mm-hmm. helping helping people to, to interact with who they are and who they've been and, and their own families and to, to have just a better understanding of what it means to be human, really. Like mm-hmm. that's often what it really comes down to. And you know, we are, we're all making these decisions every day and history can help with that. And mm-hmm. all of the resources that you have available and that you're working on are all things that even if you're not necessarily always dealing with the public directly in like the, the reference services mm-hmm. way, you're still very much dealing with clients and you're still delivering services to that will impact the public. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just I'm glad that um, to hear you say that because it's nice to know that the work that we're doing is, is appreciated. Thanks for stopping by, Emily. It's been really interesting. Thanks for having me, guys. Notice History is a No History podcast. We are produced by Robin Mullins and Emily Cuggy. This week's audio editor was Emily Cuggy. For more information about today's topic, visit us at nohistory.ca slash podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcast at nohistory.ca or find us on social media at Notice History. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.